0: If you're ready to go, we can kind of get into it and talk about Ashgrove. Does that work?
1: Yeah, whenever you're ready.
0: Yo, welcome to my summer lair. My name is Sammy. It's the end of the world as we know it. And I feel fine. You nan. Yo, and welcome to Ashgrove, where the water has turned toxic. Humans can still drink it because... They want to live, but drink too much. And they're in, well, you know, deep water. Drink too much and you'll perish. That's the initial premise of Ashgrove, the sixth feature from director Jeremy Lalonde. It sounds like a Hollywood summer blockbuster. Yet it's not. This is far more intimate. With that titillating backdrop, Ashgrove is about a couple who are breaking down just as our society is breaking down. The struggling couple is played by Amanda Bruegel and Jonas Chernick. This is sci-fi, this is drama, this is mystery, and this is a thriller. I mean the best relationships go through all those emotions don't they? Sci-fi is absolutely an emotion. As a movie Ashgrove was made in an unconventional way. I could explain it right now but I'll let Jeremy, you know, the dude who made the movie do all the talking. It's wild how they made this movie. They went into it with this strange creative method, knowing, understanding, it could fail. This was all an experiment, and wow, it worked. And and don't worry, when I say Ashgrove is experimental, it's not a weird movie where people randomly speak in French and all the colors of the movie fade and it goes all black and white with like English subtitles or whatever. It's not experimental like that, but it's still experimental. Check it out for yourself and you'll understand. The movie is in limited release now and is also out on DVD. It should hopefully be on a streamer soon. In this My Summer Layer conversation with Jeremy, like the couple in Ashgrove, we go through a number of emotions, talking about his transition to a plant-based diet, the unusual way that he made Ashgrove, and finally, sadly, working with Bob Saget on what turned out to be his final film. This is a movie that'll be coming out after Ashgrove. Well now, should we explore Ashgrove? I hear it's lovely this time of year, so long as you don't drink the water.
1: Sound, the final frontier. My summer lair is an enterprise, a pop culture voyage with a continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new creators and celebrate established producers, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now here is your host, Sammy Yunan.
0: So normally I would introduce you like as a filmmaker, which is what you are. Uh, you do screenwriting, you're a director. Sometimes you do some editing as well. But does your business card also need to include TikTok influencer?
1: <laughs> Maybe now. Yeah. No. I've uh, during the pandemic, uh, in addition to making this this film and another film, I, I kind of I became vegan about five years ago. And so I started just this whole path of like learning to eat healthier and, and developing a lot of my own recipes and just people kept on asking me to share them. And so I started putting stuff online and uh and so I've kind of created this weird little sub sub thing that's uh in addition to what I do as a filmmaker, that I I, I, I spend other time doing that and it's it's been fun.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of sarcasm, a lot of goofiness too. There was like you recently posted some like wacky books that you found on Amazon, like how to poop on a yeah. date. Like that's useful information.
1: Yeah, my son sent me that, and I was like, "Nobody's done this TikTok yet. This is the TikTok right here."
0: Yeah. Okay. So uh, gold, I see. So you got an entire like uh, social media army, I guess. Uh, so your latest feature, Ash Grove, uh, it was inspired by a road trip. Is that correct?
1: Kind of. Yeah. I mean, it, I wouldn't say. I don't know if it was inspired by road trip, more so that it was just born out of the road trip.
0: There you go. Yeah, uh,
1: Joan- Jonas and I were traveling. We were kind of scheduled every now and then. Jonas, when we're finishing up a project together, mm-hmm. we kind of slate some time where we can, like, oh, let's sit down and chat about what we might want to do next together. And so we were traveling between film festivals with our last film, James versus his future self, and we had sk- we had this three hour drive from Calgary to Edmonton. And so we're like, well, that's what we're going to do on that drive. We're going to kind of figure out what's next. And so uh, Ashgrove was born out of that car ride.
0: You've been working and obviously good friends with Jonas Chernick for a while now. So you have a great, rich, creative partnership. How did you guys meet? How did you guys develop this friendship? We met at the
1: Santa Barbara Film Festival, which is crazy because we're both Canadian Toronto filmmakers. Um, And we were there. He was there with his film um, my awkward sexual adventure, and I was there with Sex After Kids, and they said, "Oh, you're the two weird Canadians that made sex comedies." Off you go together, um, <laughs> and they and they wouldn't let us hang out with anyone else. Yeah, uh, no, that's not true. What? And we we both of us were aware of each other because we both you know made make similar type films, and so we kind of sought each other out at that film festival and instantly became became pals. And because Jonas is also you know, in addition to be an actor, he's also uh, a very talented writer we would start sharing scripts we'd start getting uh feedback on each other's scripts and writing and so i sent him um the script for my next movie I had a an orgy in a small town and his only note was that one of the characters was written as two years about 10 years too young mm-hmm. and that i should change the age of the character and that i should cast him <laughs> and, <laughs> and the and the bastard i did it
0: yeah that son of a bitch got me <laughs> that's a good uh, note baby. but he
1: it was a good note. And actually at that point we hadn't cast that character because I wasn't, there was something off about that character. And and when he gave me that note, I was like, "Ugh, you're right. And he was the right choice for it. I, I And just from that, we started going, okay, well, what about, what if we wrote something together? And that's where James versus Self came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've just, you know, we have very similar sensibilities. I think we, we do a really good job of, of balancing each other out in different ways, you know, especially you know, both of our, our two outings as, as co-writers have been kind of like in the sci-fi realm mm-hmm. with James and also this. And I think that's definitely Jonas's influence. Not to say that I don't love that genre, but Jonas loves, loves like nerdy stuff like that. But I think what I bring to it is I go, okay, that's great. And I love that all the window dressing of that, but now how do we make that relatable to other human beings? Uh, and also just like emotionally satisfying.
0: So then Ashgrove is kind of like clearly then a baby born from both of you, as what you're saying. Because there is the sci fi element, right? Where the water has turned like toxic and it's starting to poison humans. But then you also have this kind of like intimacy. So even though it's the end of the world, it's not like, uh, I'm thinking, like Independence Day or World War Z kind of like end of the world. Yeah. It's more like, I guess, I am legend, like a really intimate. Uh, yeah, the, this,
1: the stakes are personal, but they do tie to like the fate of the world. And that, and that's what I, ironically, this time around, it was reversed where on that car ride, Jonas and I were talking about what we want to do next. And Jonas said, and we both kind of agree that it'd be interesting to do something different from what we've done in the past, as opposed to like spending a lot of time in crafting a screenplay right down to the iota of it. We're like, wouldn't it be interesting if we kind of developed something that we could make in a more experimental process? And so part of that was Jonas going, well, I'd love to do like a really in-depth character piece with a really small cast, you know, limited locations and just really getting into the nitty gritty of like great performance. And I said, that sounds boring. <laughs> <laughs> um, I said, that sounds like a lot of fun for an actor, not necessarily fun for a filmmaker or an audience.
0: My dinner with Andre.
1: Yeah. Well, that's just it. And th- there are great films that are, mm. that have been made that way, but there's, probably 10 times as many terrible films that have been made that way. Mm -hmm. And so I said, that's interesting to me, especially in a modern audience. I don't think you can get away with a My Dinner with Andre Mm -hmm. in today's culture where you've got so many other streaming options and and, and distractions, right? It's just a different generation and time we live in. And so I said, this is fascinating to me. And I love the idea of doing something like this, but only if the stakes are the end of the world. And Jonas was like, that's not what I want to do. That's not (laughs) what I'm interested in. So though so that three hour car ride was figuring out what that is how do we satisfy both those ideas and by the time we we arrived in Edmonton we had to figure it out we didn't have all the the nitty-gritty the minutiae of it but we we knew it was like oh water is interesting water is like universal it's human it's something it's very much like love we need it mm-hmm. to survive but it could also kill us and destroy us <laughs> if <laughs> we're not careful mm-hmm. and uh and you know and the, one other thing we talked on that car ride was like well, who's going to play the opposite of you? Uh, who's going to be your romantic counterpart and the lead of our film? And the only person that was on both of our lists to start off with was Amanda Bruegel. And so I legit called her as soon as we got to Edmonton and she was in from the get-go. She loved the adventurous adventure of the project because the also the other thing we decided on that trip was that we weren't going to write a traditional script. We um, So we kind of decided that we'd work with the cast and create really in-depth backstories uh, about their relationships with each other and, and just the world and whatnot. But then what we are going to do is shoot the film in chronological order and the actors wouldn't have a script. They wouldn't really have much to memorize other than what their characters knew. Uh, and literally they would just have to trust me from scene to scene to guide them along in a story that I had kind of outlined um, but literally just starting every scene with, this is where you're coming from, this is your character's motivation in the scene, this is your character's motivation in the scene, go.
0: Was that freeing, I guess, that level of experimentation and like not having to like, quote-unquote follow a clear script? Was that freeing or was that intimidating or what's the word I'm looking for?
1: Both. It was terrifying and exhaustive. And amazing. And I loved it. And it was like, I feel, I keep on saying we, I think we feel like we, we caught lightning in a bottle mm-hmm. because it was, what, and it was also the challenge of that project. Every single person we approached, I kind of went in and I said, look, the only re- way you can get involved in this, and this is from like the actors to the crew to even our financiers, is we said, you have to understand this is an experiment and it might fail. And it might be terrible, and you have to be okay with that. We can only approach a film in this way if everyone's comfortable knowing that it might be terrible, and we might not ever want to show it to anybody. And so the investors even were behind that. Uh, you know, the ace we had in our sleeve is that we had a, a buddy of ours, Chris ware Smets shooting a behind-the-scenes documentary about the entire process. So that way, if we totally shit the bed and made an unwatchable piece of shit. Mm-hmm. There'd be a great documentary <laughs> about Canadian filmmakers that made an ultimate piece of shit and wasted yeah. a bunch of people's money and time.
0: A Canadian disaster and, artist.
1: Yeah. And that's just it. And so that, that documentary is, 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 finishing up and it'll come out next year. It's called the Ash Grove experiment. Um, and so what they ended up doing was investing in both for the investors is they invested in the feature and a doc, mm-hmm. knowing that if one failed, the other one would probably succeed even more.
0: Right, this idea of failure is interesting because I think we kind of know what success looks like. This is, I think, your fifth feature, right? So, uh, six, six. Sorry. So your sixth feature. So you've got a better handle on like what success looks like. Is failure like something still easy to kind of identify? Because sometimes we've seen this with all kinds of movies where like they open, but they don't really make a lot of mo- money at the box office. But doesn't mean that they're a failure or a terrible movie. That kind of thing where like they sometimes fail to find an audience. Is failure easier to identify or live with than success, in a sense?
1: I mean, that's a great question, and I think that's what every single person who creates content struggles with on a daily basis. It's like, and I think, you know, the and I think this is something that I've had to like redefine my definition of success and failure uh, as my career continues along, because I think, you know, some people might sit down and go, "Well, success means that uh, I get to make like." A Marvel film or a Star Wars film—that's mm-hmm. success. And I, I look at that and I'm like, that's a dangerous thing to put your your emotional and mental well being into because it's things that are outside of your control. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I look at success now as a filmmaker of going—you know—did I connect? Did the, did the film accomplish what I I set out to accomplish? And I try not to make the, those financial goals or or audience schools because I can't control that. I can't control if this film hit at the right time. I think a lot of that is is luck.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: the way way projects come out and suddenly explode out of nowhere. I think, you know, I think there's lots of great films made by filmmakers that just never found the audience or released You know before their time and just never quite hit for whatever reason and it doesn't mean they weren't great films Mm -hmm. it was just bad bad timing for whatever reason so for me the success of something like this was that was is it watchable you know Mm -hmm. did we did we come up with something because that was the challenge for us as artists was going I'm gonna kind of work a bit without a net and see if my skills as a storyteller are strong enough that I can kind of you know not wing it to a certain extent but just like rely on my gut instincts as a storyteller after having made five features that have all gone on to have a form of success that I'm really, really happy with. Mm -hmm. You know, can I, can I remove all of these safety measures I put in place with a script and a higher budget and other things and just like to see what happens. So it was, it was terrifying and freeing all at once. It was exhilarating because everyone was on the same journey and challenging themselves in the same way.
0: Yeah, because traditionally in a movie, depending on the type of director, the type of screenwriter, it's a script is written, and then, like, every now and then, if there's some freedom on the set, characters or actors will improvise certain lines, right? And sometimes there might be a really great line or something that ends up, like, being, like, kind of a hallmark or a meme or something, whatever it may be. This is, like, you're almost doing the reverse, right? Where, like, there isn't that clear script, right? Because if somebody improvises a line or two, you as a director, you have like three or four takes and you can kind of choose the take that you want to use, right? You have that like, and you know the script is your North Star to kind of like guide you. This is kind of interesting because you've reversed that. We're like, hey, all right, that looks good. Let's go with that almost in a sense. Like improvise, like actual, like same way that like stand comics will write material, but then there's other group, other people like Second City that will just go up and just improvise like i yeah. need a location i need a chair i need a whatever like give me some like occupation that kind of stuff
1: yeah so this wasn't quite that Yeah. you know i did i did create a bit of an outline so i had like an idea of where the story could go Correct. but i was constantly revising and updating and shifting it as different things and nuances kind of revealed itself through the relationships of the characters i'd make little notes and go oh, that's interesting i'm going to pay that off later mm-hmm. and it's fascinating because that's how i work as a writer when i when i write traditional scripts I do like an extensive outline, but then I write in order. And as I'm writing, I start discovering stuff about the characters and I'll make little notes to go, oh, I'm going to pay that off later. Mm -hmm. I'm going to add that in somewhere else and do that. So, But what was fascinating was this time I was doing it live and with actors. right? Uh, And so the stakes were a bit higher in that sense. But it was similar. It was like we get into a scene, I'd give them motivation. They'd go out, we'd do a take, and then I might shift it up entirely and do something totally different. And so what was, I think the the actors loved it because for them, like an actor's ultimate goal and dream is to just be present and be in the moment and react honestly and naturally against the other performer. Mm -hmm. And when you make a film like this, you have no choice but to do that because you're not waiting for your line. You're not waiting for your turn to speak. You can only have a line if you think you would say something. And if you're honestly reacting to the other character. So for a lot of them, it was, I think it was extremely freeing and it, it kind of like ruined them for moving forward for other projects where mm-hmm. they have to now memorize lines again.
0: <laughs> and this idea of like being present and being surprised, this literally like was part of the, like you basically threw a surprise party for certain scenes for like, especially for Amanda. Cause she, there is a bit of a twist too, as well in Ashgrove.
1: Yeah. So spoiler alert, if you don't want to know the, the big twist of Ashgrove, maybe skip ahead a, a few minutes but there's a a major twist where Amanda realizes that everything that's been happening for the last about hour of the movie at that point is not quite what it seems. Uh, And what was kind of fascinating was that we had to, I had to keep that from Amanda too, for Mm -hmm. like from the time we started developing this and Amanda got involved to the time we were shooting it, it was about a year. I had to lie to Amanda Bruegel, who is a very good friend of mine who (laughs) I adore who you know is one of our co-writers on the project, and basically leave it a big piece of the puzzle mm-hmm. for her to discover on camera for the first time, right? And keep that from her and everyone else too. <laughs> so we were, but also I had secrets that Jonas had to keep. So it was me as the as the kind of the gatekeeper of all the secrets.
0: Was that <laughs> was that kind of also like part of the fun as well in making this? Like knowing that you, because you're almost like playing poker, but you know what everybody's hand is. Fuck
1: yeah! It was amazing. <laughs> uh, yeah, in a way, it's, it's also like if you're a nerd, it's like D and D. It's like you're the you're the game master or whatever it's called. The, the what's it called? The dungeon master.
0: Oh, dungeon master. Yeah, let's go with dungeon master. I'm not a D and D guy, but let's go with yeah, that. Yeah, you
1: know, it, it's it's similar thing where it's like you're kind of uh, yeah, it's like you're you're the puppet master in a way, pulling the strings uh, and, and 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 playing along and seeing what happens. Uh, it was it was extremely thrilling, right? Because mm-hmm. I, 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 I just kind of. You know, and I, I hope I didn't do it in a cruel way, mm-hmm. but I would kind of fuck with them a little bit. You know, we, we structured some days <laughs> where I'd end something on a bit of a cliffhanger mm-hmm. or a bit of a moment where it's like, well, what's happening there? And, I'm, and I'm, so, for example, there's a moment in the movie where so uh, again, spoiler alert. So, you know, watch the movie, come back and listen to this part. But, you know, there's an aspect of the movie where we realize that some of these things might have already happened. You know, there's some timelines in play here. Mm-hmm. And so Jonas Chernick as an actor knew that um, certain things happened in the original timeline in a certain way. Uh, and so the surprise for him was when I would have Amanda do something different that deviated in a major way. And so there's this point in the movie where Amanda takes off from the house and heads off to a barn. Mm-hmm. And Jonas, as, as both the actor and the character, he's like, that's not supposed to happen. That's bad, right? Uh, and literally, I ended the shooting day with her going into the barn, and I, and we were done a little bit early too. I was like, you know what? Let's cut. We'll come back in the morning. He's like, what? Whoa, whoa, whoa! What's ha- What's in the barn? I'm like, we'll find out tomorrow. Okay. And and had to leave them with that.
0: Mm-hmm. But that is fun him- then, like, because that is completely different than filming. How so much fun? Yeah, and you are completely present now because, like, like you said, Jonas, both as the actor and as the character, is like, well, what's in the barn? Yeah, it plays into the audience's thing, too, because the audience is watching it, too. And we're like, we don't know what's in the barn either.
1: No. Uh, and for him, I think it was both frustrating and thrilling because there is this like what what could pop. And and I'm sure he spent hours that night going, well, what could possibly be in the barn? Why is why is Jeremy getting Mamanda to go out there? Why is her character in there? What's going to happen and how do I get her back on track to what she's supposed to be doing when I get out of the barn? Right. Mm-hmm. So that was the first big wrench I threw at Jonas that he had no idea was coming. Right. Uh, and and he loved and hated it.
0: And I know you developed this before the pandemic, but watching yeah. it post-pandemic, because as you said, this is very intimate, mostly just this kind of couple and having this breakdown, uh, trying to deal with all this, plus the stress of like the water's turning toxic and it's poisoning people. Like The thing that's supposed to give us life now is harming us. Um, like... I it's weird because it's like I actually kind of forgot watching this how stressful the actual pandemic was the one the real one that we had you forget like it was almost like I think our brains just kind of shut it off and want to go away but then when you kind of see it again live through this couple and the tensions that they're dealing with obviously they have other tensions based on the film in Ashgrove but like still just you kind of see it on them like the, how stressful everything was
1: yeah, and it's interesting. We started developing this in, in September of 2019, and, and of course, our biggest concern uh, was, well, are people gonna? Is the world gonna understand what a, what it's like to live during a pandemic? <laughs> are they gonna be able to relate to this? <laughs> yes. Sadly, yeah. uh, the world delivered us the most relatable possible thing for this movie. Um, but what happened then? Obviously, we you know we continued to develop and workshop this from our own homes during during the pandemic over Zoom. And so what we ended up doing, what was, I don't want to say great about the pandemic, because obviously it's a horrific thing where, you know, bad things happen. But what was really great about it was we didn't have to like spoon feed an audience and explain what it's like to live during a pandemic. What we could then do was focus on those human elements, those small little details that people would just get because we have as a world have gone through this universal experience right? Mm-hmm. So where we now, you know, we were going on public and staying six feet away from other people and wearing masks and using hand sanitizer all the time. We were able to look at our our project in our world with the water pandemic and go, what's our version of that? And it's like, okay, so in a world where water's toxic to drink, you still need to drink some of it to keep alive, but too much and it becomes toxic in your system. Well, people would probably would have to measure their water somehow, mm-hmm. right? Every day, you'd have to be constantly aware of how much water you're drinking. And so there would be an app for that. There'd be probably we'd have customized water bottles that we'd be creating, you know, the way that we have custom masks. Right. That some people, my wife, that was one of her things. She learned how to sew and she made masks for all of us.
0: Oh, that's really um, cool.
1: Yeah. And so that, uh, and, you know, our version of hand sanitizer is hand cream, you know, because people are constantly dehydrated and lip balm right. and that kind of stuff. Just little things like that. Like just create a bit of a shorthand, and when they're starting to think about like things that are really water-heavy, eating at one point, you know, the other couple brings over watermelon, and it's right. like, oh, is this cool to eat? It's like, yeah, you just like take away this. There's a math equation that goes along with eating watermelon or drinking alcohol or coffee, mm-hmm. things that are dehydrants. You know, that we just try to weave in to be like everyday conversation speak, without having to go into like nerdy detail right. about why we're doing that. We hope, we hope that we just feel like it was secondhand but also make this world feel lived in.
0: Was the water, uh, the toxicity of the water and just the focus of water being the thing that harms us, was that all at all influenced by your recent like transition into like a plant-based kind of diet and like how your approach to food and to health, living and all that? No, not
1: really. I don't think so. Um, I think we were just looking at water as a metaphor, uh, like something that our bodies need, something that everyone needs on a daily basis Mm -hmm. that could hurt them, right? And so, yeah, it wasn't – I'm sure there's definitely aspects of that and health and whatnot that kind of, like, leech itself into the film, whether I'm aware of it or not. But, uh, yeah, I can't say that it was definitely uh, part of the initial conceit.
0: So Ashgrove is done, and it's obviously made its rounds to a number of festival screenings and things like that. How was the audience reaction to it? Like you said, like, you've now got – we've lived through this pandemic, so there's a shorthand in the the in the, the film – and people can kind of relate to it. Are they like, they dig in it? Are they picking up on it? Are they finding it terrifying? How do the audience feel about it?
1: We've been so thrilled by the way this film has been received. Like, again, we made this film with the promise that it might not ever be seen by anybody. Right. So the fact that we were able to have like our world premiere at the Glasgow Film Festival and then go off to screen at so many amazing film festivals around the world and even back home in Canada it's been really great. And because the world has kind of opened up again, I've been able to travel with the film a little bit into some of these places and screenings. And it's been amazing. Like, you know, audiences are still a bit slow to return to to screenings and festivals. And we, we get that, but we are kind of shocked by pretty much every screening. You know, we, we, we stay and we do a Q and a for the screening and, you know, usually people have somewhere else to go. They're, they're taking off. You're lucky if you can retain like maybe 25% of your audience for your Q&A. Mm-hmm. Most audiences stuck around. Like it's almost like almost no one left most of the screenings because they wanted to know how we made this film. They wanted to know about the twist and they wanted to talk about it. Because we'd always, whenever I introduced the film, I'd say, hey, if you have time and you're not busy after the screening, please stick around so we can t- talk about this film because we made it in a pretty unconventional way. Uh, and that intrigues them, right? Mm-hmm. It's like a little co- a little cookie right. that we, we dangle in front of them.
0: That's cool. So then I guess co- circling back to what we were talking about before, the experiment worked then. It was successful.
1: Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. I think for sure. Like it there, I I got way more than I was expecting out of this film. I got to make something in a slightly different genre than I've ever done. You know, I primarily work in 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 comedy. Uh, and so, to be able to do something that that steers more towards like uh, like a a dramatic thriller, maybe mm-hmm. in some aspects you might call it that, uh, but a, a dramatic film anyway. So uh, that was really rewarding for me, you know, being able to work with the actors in this way, but also just the reception we've gotten, the fact that you know we're releasing um, this film right now in theaters in Canada. It's also being simultaneously released in the United, in the u k and in the USA mm-hmm. on on their digital and streaming platforms uh you know undoubtedly it was a success, given that this whole thing was set up to kind of fail
0: right <laughs> yeah, so yeah, it's sometimes it's that thing of like when you're kind of slipping on ice and you can't quite get your balance, but the last second you kind of do and you kind of write yourself up so that way you didn't actually fall, you know what I mean, but it was kind of touch and go there for a little bit. Right. so a little bit of like you weren't no, yeah. sure which way it was going to go. Yeah, no. Well, you know what it was? I, to
1: be honest, and, and and I hope it doesn't sound cocky, but it's like I found because we surrounded ourselves by so many great people, like both from crew and cast, mm-hmm. I never felt like I didn't have someone to hold on to. Right. That was good. Like, I never felt like I was going to slip and fall. It's just kind of like we just put our heads down and tried to do something really cool that we were proud of Mm -hmm. and so i i I never felt at any point in the process like this isn't going to work right you know there's definitely little moments where i was like oh that's not quite what i was thinking but then it was always like what was great about it was because it was so experimental was that anytime something like that happened i was just like okay well that's different than i was thinking what can i do with that and it became like a little thought experiment and it became part of the just part of the experiment really Mm-hmm. And any any weakness became, we turned into an asset.
0: That's a good way to put it. And uh, this is obviously Ash Grove, and As you said, this is just about coming out now. But your follow-up film after this one, your next one, is kind of sad, but it's also kind of fun. It's the last one from Bob Saget.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's a film that I've had in development um, with uh, Darius Films for quite a few years. It's taken to come together. And so I ended up shooting that movie four or five months after I shot Ashgrove uh, of all places in the Cayman Islands. And, um, <laughs> and, and we were very fortunate to get this great cast out, including Bob Saget, who, you know, obviously we didn't know it at the time, but mm-hmm. it would ultimately end up being his last film.
0: Yeah. How was that experience like with Bob Saget? Just because he's comedy legend, right? So how was that? And you're a comedy nerd too, right? So was that kind of fun or what was that experience like working with Bob?
1: I've been so lucky to, I've got to work with a number of my like idols. Like I got to work with Daniel Stern. Mm -hmm. I I got to work with Francis Conroy. I've got to work with some great people when I, when I worked on Baroness Fun Sketch Show. And I'm constantly kind of shocked and impressed by how well iconic famous people do at like when they're working with somebody to disarm you Mm -hmm. and make you realize they're a human being from the get-go. Like they instantly just kind of like, they have a way about them that just instantly puts you at ease uh and not just being a fan and nerd out and i and i'm i'm pretty good at that anyway but so it was great it was it was i had to pinch myself every now and then and be like oh my god it's like i'm this is i grew up watching you on television mm-hmm. as like america's america's father right you know uh what a surreal weird experience and it was similar with with danny stern you know I, you're marv you know mm-hmm. uh people still say danny stern they're like it's marv uh <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what bandits yeah but with bob it was just so but also because i i knew you know as a comedy nerd i knew that he wasn't you know this pip squeaky clean guy i knew that he was actually a uh, you know a filthy dark yeah, comedian yeah.
0: i know a stand up uh, and... yeah it's filthy
1: well that's just it and so for us we're like i'm like that's the Bob I want. I don't want Danny Tanner Bob. Yeah. I want Dirty Work Bob. Right. You know? Uh, and, you know, and so, and and that's why he wanted to do the project too. He came out in spades. He was so great. He came in with such great, you know, notes and thoughts on the character and just showed up ready to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and it was, it's, it's, yeah, it was sad. It was really, it was when, when, when I got that call before the news broke, it was just before kind of, it broke out everywhere. I got a call. Mm -hmm. that he had passed away and i was like that's got it sounds like bullshit fake news like someone's like it's it's a hoax i was literally talking to him on the phone two days earlier Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and he was like in the best mood he's he was on tour doing stand-up which he hadn't done in forever uh and it just didn't make sense to me that all of a sudden he was gone yeah you know and it, it was all the more heartbreaking for that film in particular because he was so integral um, once he was cast, and just like giving feedback and thoughts, and and being a real collaborator, uh, but he didn't want to see the film until it was a hundred percent finished, and we hadn't finished it yet. Oh, that sucks. So Bob, so he never got to see the film yeah. finished, which um, is really heartbreaking for me because I, I I I really I think he's so great in it. Mm-hmm. Um, it. It's it's kind of a different flavor from him that we don't normally get to see. You know, it's that bridge between filth and heart, which is what I do.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> that should be on your that's, business card.
1: That's my sweet, all people know.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> that, that I do. That's one, I, I see that review line almost constantly mm-hmm. in reviews that I get from my work, which is like, I did not expect to be as charmed by this movie as I was expecting. I thought it was just going to be a dick and fart joke over and over again. <laughs> yes. But There's gosh darn it, it got to me. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of what i do like i like uh i i, I i'm a big i'm a softy mm-hmm. you know i believe in the, in the goodness of people but i also you know i got a dark sense of humor i grew up with a dad who you know told very blue jokes uh and so there's something about that that i just realize i i see people you know the way to connect to humans is to kind of make them laugh mm-hmm. and disarm them and then once they're kind of disarmed and comfortable then you can slip in the medicine and the shit they need to learn about yeah. themselves
0: yeah that's how sometimes certain Simpsons episodes end, right? Where like the family's all together and then Lisa will kind of pipe in and like, what did we learn after like all these adventures today? Like, did we learn anything or like, and there's usually no kind of great grand moral lesson, but it's like, they're all together and they're a family. And then I was like, all right, we'll do this all again next time. You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: We'll be back next week. Same time.
0: (laughs) And where can people find you online for your, uh, your filth in your heart uh, for some of your comedy, TikTok videos and all that.
1: Yeah, so I'm all over the place online. My my, my main website for my, my film stuff is com. My food stuff, it's pbwithj.ca. So that's plant-based with Jeremy, pbwithj.ca. And that's how all those social handles work for TikTok and Instagram and and uh, Facebook and all that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, and Ashgrove is going to be out on Friday, December 2nd in Canada. So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe that's before after you've listened to this. And so that's gonna be out rentable if you don't live in one of the cities that is playing. You know, it's a pretty limited release, so you mm-hmm. can check it out. You can rent it online. Uh I think you can buy there's physical discs. Kino Lorber came in. They're they're make they're doing the disc for the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh and, and some of like a preview of that documentary is on is a bonus feature on the on the disc if you want to check that out. It's pretty cool.
0: And you said the documentary will be out in twenty twenty three?
1: Yeah, yeah, we're just working on finishing that up so the the goal is to get that out sometime in 2023.
0: All right, great. Uh we covered quite a bit from like uh Ashgrove to your road trip with Jonas to uh you got Filth and Heart <laughs> and, and you're a TikTok superstar influencer. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, good. Thank you so much for hanging out Jeremy. This was a lot of fun.
1: Uh thanks so much for helping us promote the film and, and sitting down and chatting with us. We 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 got Bob Sagan in there too.
0: Yeah, I had to cuz like I know that the focus was Ashgrove, but like uh, No, that's I, okay. I wanted to like uh you know what I mean? Because I I I'm a comedy nerd as well and I know some of Bob's like filthy like, you know what I mean? Uh stand up and it, I liked it. I think it's funny. Um and so it was it was actually kind of a funny uh, thing when he passed away because there was this one group of people that were all like sweet and like, remember i on like Full House? And they, they kind of remembered the wholesome Bob, like you were just saying, right? Like they kind of, um, they mourned the wholesome Bob. And then there's another part of us, I guess you uh, included, like knew the filthy Bob and we're like, oh man, that guy was good with the dirty language and the crudeness. You know what I mean? Like, so, yeah. uh, whereas everybody else kind of like, I think Eddie Murphy will probably be the same thing when he goes, there'll be a ch- chunk of people That remember, like, Doolittle and some of the family stuff that he did. And then a bunch of us, the comedy nerds, were like, Oh, rah! And all those ones, like, that stuff was so good. Like, you know? So.
1: Yeah. No. Agreed. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Gone too soon. That was a weird year of comedy. So many... Norm was gone. Bob was gone. Norm was
0: a huge loss, too. Like, he wasn't necessarily as big in terms of the public consciousness. But, like, if you know what comedy is and, like, his contribution to comedy, it's like that's you, you don't replace a guy like that. You know what I mean? Like comedy will be no. fine, but he's not a light bulb, but you can just replace it.
1: Yeah. And Bob and Norm are working on a dirty work sequel.
0: Oh, I didn't know that. Oh man. Yeah.
1: They were working on it. They were talking about it while, uh, while we were in the Caymans. Like, I got a little Intel on it, but it's like, but it's, it's something we'll never see. So,
0: yeah. By the way, can I ask you one quick question? This is nothing to do with anything yeah. we talk talking about. You do, um, the podcast, uh, black hole films. Yeah. My question is this, is there a certain point where the, like, it's too late to see a movie? So I was talking to somebody just yesterday, and he saw Die Hard for the first time. And he's like, I didn't get the hype. I thought Die Hard was kind of boring. I don't get why everybody likes this movie. And, like, it's almost like it was almost too late for him. You know what I mean? Because it's just been, like, 20 years or 30 years of Die Hard jokes.
1: Yeah, you know what it is? It's like, it's, it's. That happens, but then the opposite is also true. Where someone watches something and they're like, "Why the fuck have I not seen this before?" You know, you watch. I think sometimes that happens when movies have like built up such a big pressure, mm-hmm. and there's so much pressure to watch it. And to, especially, it's, it's like when it's such a loved film. Mm-hmm. I think that's what that's when that happens because people like it's like, "Well, what's the what's the big deal about this film?" It's like I don't. It's not as special as you think it is. And it's like, well, that's because it's, it's so built up in their minds that Mm -hmm. they feel like they have to love it and i think that's usually what happens there where if you slide in something that is maybe just like left of center that is like a great classic movie but isn't like heralded like something like back to the future or die hard or one of these films then i think you can like really knock someone off their kilter Mm -hmm. and like for example like one of my favorite films is the apartment um which is made in the 50s or the 60s? Yeah. And I saw that in the night. You know, I, I I just you know when I was in film school, a bunch of us was like passed DVDs and VHSs back and forth, and someone loaned it to me, and I just popped it in one morning, and then it was just like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> yes. It's Like, yeah. Where well, I want more of that. Yeah. It's like, well, I want a movie like that. And they're like, he's like, that's not. There are there aren't other movies like that. So I'm like, why didn't I know about that movie? <laughs> I
0: like, know. Why did anybody say anything? So,
1: so I like to collect uh, – every time I find someone that hasn't watched uh, an iconic movie, I try to collect them for that podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've been lazy on it. I haven't recorded an episode in a long time. I'm I'm way behind. Uh, I've got to get back into it, but I've just been swamped on other things.
0: Yeah, no, it was just funny because, like, like I said, I, I was doing research for this, and I'm like, all right, if I have a chance, I'll ask about Black Hole films. But uh, just talking to somebody yesterday about Die Hard, and it was the exact same premise of your thing, and I'm like – I, that's what i would have told them I'm like there's no need for you to watch die hard now like this like in 2022 like in november 2022 like you you know what i mean and he's like 35 or 37 years old so i'm like no man that ship sailed like that's it it's like yeah. if, you ha- if you haven't seen star wars and you're like over 35 now it's like that ship sailed like there's just too much to like culturally unpack right to just absorb star wars like
1: that's just it that's been the one fun thing about not one thought mm-hmm. there's many fun things about having kids, but one of the one of the really rewarding things about having like my son is fourteen no thirteen I uh, will be fourteen very soon uh and my daughter's eleven so it's like he's now old enough to basically watch anything mm-hmm. and so we're like watching we're it, re- watching movies with him watching them for the first time is like the closest thing I can ever get to re-watching something for the first time and just watching him experience it we just watched Rambo the other night. Oh,
0: first and, blood. And,
1: yeah. First blood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so he was just like, Whoa, like this is, this guy's, there's like, a, it was just like watching him, like unpack it was mm-hmm. great
0: because yeah, yeah. it makes
1: you like kind of see it for the first time through fresh eyes mm-hmm. and re-examine it. So I, you know, I, I get a kick out of that. Uh, and especially cause he's such, he's a little film nerd mm-hmm. himself and like knows a lot of like cinematic history and, and knows filmmakers and dps and Mm -hmm. composers and and that kind of stuff
0: that's cool did he like rambo
1: yeah yeah he really 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 i gave him two options i'm like we can either watch rambo or predator and he picked rambo
0: oh okay (laughs) all right you'll have to fill me in on how he feels about predator i really like that one that's a solid one i think
1: he's scared to watch predator i think he thinks it's gonna be scary which is funny because he's not he doesn't that Usually, not is not a thing that deters him, but there, mm. I think there's something with Predator that like he's not quite ready for yet. All
0: <laughs> right, all right, yeah, you'll have to fill me in, but thank you so much for like reaching out. I'm glad you did. Um, and were you able to contact Sean or some of the other people I recommended, or were the schedule I did?
1: Yeah, yeah, so I think I'm gonna be chatting with Sean later on, and then other people are busy or something, but it's it was a nice little mishmash. But I appreciated you giving me that little list and push.
0: Okay, great, yeah. No, the film's great. Like, you and the, the whole crew, like, high five to everybody. Like, thank you so much for reaching out. It was really solid. And I enjoyed, like, James, the one you did before where I talked to Daniel Stern. Like, so, like, keep making stuff, please. Like, I, I, at least I appreciate it. So, that's the goal. Yeah. <laughs> so, thank you. That's
1: the goal.
0: Have a good day. Great. Thanks, Sammy. director Jeremy Leland the the movie is called Ashgrove and I am your host Sammy this is my summer layer there's a lot of homework i'm going to assign right now but it's all good stuff it's all good homework is that an oxymoron a couple of times during this conversation director Jeremy mentioned James versus his future self which stars daniel stern I was fortunate to interview Daniel Stern, yes, the narrator of The Wonder Years, and Marv from Home Alone. And you can check out that interview on mysummerlayer.com. I'm all, like, technology and fancy pants and whatever, and I'll hyperlink it on the show notes for this episode. Bam! The movie may still be on Crave, depending on when you hear this. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. Well, James vs. Future Self is fun, and my Stern interview is fun, if I'm allowed to say so. More homework. Check out Ashgrove, which is playing at a cinema near you. Well, kind of. It's a limited release, so that's a lie. Kind of like the center of Ashgrove. It's a riveting premise, a literal twist on the plague film genre. Water, which is meant to keep us alive, has turned on us. And that betrayal is extended to the couple dealing with all these intense pressures. We need water and we need love. And yet betrayal is heavy and difficult to overcome. The intimacy of the movie gives it an emotional heft. The performances from Jonas and Amanda are raw. They're both uncomfortable in the position they find themselves. It's kind of like getting the uh, the middle seat on a long airplane ride home. I like that Ashgrove is a thoughtful meditation on memory. And that's a, kind of an unfair statement because it's difficult to unpack on a podcast like this. Just go see the movie and you'll understand exactly what I'm saying. All right uh mr union assigned a lot of homework today i apologize well not really i mean if you want you can also sign up for my newsletter mysummerlayer.com slash subscribe mysummerlayer.com slash subscribe but before all that i gave you a lot of homework so we're all good at least put on pants and go see ashgrove if that's the basic takeaway of this post interview part go see ashgrove Thank you so much for listening to me in a Netflix world. Ashgrove, yo!